I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Joel. He has anxiety and is the founder of Tranquility. Let's talk about it. How we, this is how we start every episode, just to test the yeah. patience. Yeah. Just to make Actually, it Actually, everything's been working perfectly fine. This was a skit. <laughs> yeah, yeah we just a, committed to the bit. This is all a ruse. Um, well, we're, this is going uh, to be an interesting conversation. I feel like this is kind of a conversation that, like, has been a long time coming, even though maybe we haven't, like, outwardly spoken about making it happen until very recently. I mean, I don't know, maybe Brian and Joel, maybe the two of you have, like, like talked about the idea, you but just like, mentioned it. No, but I've had the I've I've always wanted to talk to Joel on the podcast. Yeah. I I felt like Joel would be a good person to speak to. Yeah, totally. And like I, you know, Joel. I I mean, I don't know you that well, but I've I've we've we've crossed paths a number of times, yeah. and uh, and I've always thought I've always thought the same thing. So I'm glad we've we've been able to like bring this together. But uh, for f- people who aren't aware, we're sitting here with our friend Joel. Uh, who is the co-founder of uh, Tranquility? Um, do you still say that you're the co-founder of Tranquility, or like do you say like oh, absolutely, yeah. the co-founder of Tranquility, which is actually now uh, a, like a part of yeah another so company? <laughs> if if you go on our website in in all like marketing material, it's not called like when I co-founded it, we called it Tranquility Online. Now it's Tranquility by Green Shield. Uh, okay, yeah. got it, got it. Okay, so then with that, why don't you for you know for the three of us and for our listeners. Um, introduce yourself, but then also give us a little bit of insight into what is tranquility, what is Green Shield, and you know we'll we'll take it from there. Sure. So yeah, my name is Joel Muse. I'm the co-founder of Tranquility by Green Shield. Uh, I grew up in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, which is three hours from where we're sitting right now in a small Acadian community. Um, I moved to Halifax to go to SMU. So that means I've been like in Halifax for like 20 years now. Um, as a kid growing up, I had a lot of anxiety and in those days, the stigma was huge, small community, all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I was like 18, I kind of, that came to a, to a head. I got really sick all, all of a sudden and it was like too late to do therapy at that point. I was like, you need to go on antidepressants basically. Right. Like, like, like crisis mode. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like basically like saw a child psychiatrist. He was like, okay, this sounds pretty bad. Uh, like, come back in two weeks. And we'll, like, I don't want to push you on meds yet. Come back in two weeks. It's like two weeks later. I was like, oh, you got to go on meds. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Basically. Like, what did, that, what did that look like? You know, like, what was the, I guess, um, to be more specific, like, what, was, what did your life look like at the time? Like, how did, how did your anxiety sort of manifest? Yeah. Like, what, what was happening? Totally. So, I would say when I was younger... I had a lot of trouble sleeping and I would say at that point I probably would have been diagnosed with like OCD in the like 
compulsive thoughts thing. Like I didn't want to go to bed because I didn't want to think of these scary things. Hmm. Um, I grew out of that and then it was more like social anxiety and things like this. So when everything came to a head, it was this really interesting situation where um, I was in like grade 12 and me and this girl in our class were getting closer and closer. But just like just as friends, like I had no intention. She had a boyfriend. And then one day she's just like, I broke up with my boyfriend because like I want you. And I was like, whoa. Like I was not expecting this. I did not ask for this. We never talked about this. You weren't necessarily stoked. No, yeah. I honestly, I yeah, exactly. The social Which, ramifications were just a little bit too. Well, uh, too especially heavy. in a huge, right. like a tiny community yeah, where it's yeah. like yeah. everyone's. Ju- I felt like the bad guy. Like all this guilt came rushing in. I have like a re- like. I have one of my biggest struggles is just the feeling of guilt. Ooh. If someone's upset. Like, maybe it was my fault that the mics weren't working earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know what? Maybe it was. <laughs> yeah, um, so the that- fuck, dude? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, is this like Catholic guilt? Like, or, 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 do, or do you feel like, do you know where that stems from? Like, where yeah, that- yeah, yeah. I, after seven years of therapy, I'm pretty, uh, you, I'm, I'm you pretty, got it dialed I'm pretty, in. Yeah. Okay, okay. It, it comes from just how my parents handled my childhood and, and, and how I internalized what was going sure, on, basically. Sure, sure. So yeah. it, it always felt like everything was my fault. Um, and so I almost like made that a part as my reality. Like if something's wrong, first question comes up to my mind is like, how did, what did I do to fuck this mm-hmm. up type thing? Um, so, but the manifestation was like immediately like reading that text on like ICQ at the time. Yes. Uh-oh. Exactly. It was a big uh oh for me. Big uh oh. Immediate stomach ache. Like, Mm. yeah, like stomach punch. And the problem is, I didn't grow up in a house where you talked about your feelings, all this kind of stuff. Sure. So for four months, I hid that stomach ache. And like in my head, I was like, maybe, like eventually, I was kind of like, maybe it's. A physical thing, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, and then like slowly, all that anxiety. Like, couldn't I couldn't um, eat? Like, I had no appetite, and I if I was like trying to eat like at school, it'd be like, uh, like I'm trying to eat, so don't ask me weird questions about why I'm not eating. Ooh. But the fact that everyone's watching me is making me not be able to eat. Like, I'm almost puking right now. Isn't it crazy how the anxiety physical, cycle, how how physical, how physical anxiety is? Like, yeah, like because yeah. you because you. I mean, it's it's classified as a as a as a as a mental illness, but it's so physical. Like it's manifests so physically. Yeah, it's that's also that's almost more my description of anxiety now. It's like your body is reacting in a physical way that's extremely uncomfortable because of something that's going on in your life or in your mind or your mm. interpretation of something. Mm. But like, and it's happening with like your neuro, your neurochemistry. But like, like you said, like it's couldn't eat. Stomach hurts, um, like chest tension. We, and like, I can't like hard hard time like ooh. catching a, a solid breath, mm-hmm. um, and then like the downward spiral of that like, oh that this is all happening. What's happening to me? Not knowing, not knowing who to talk to, uh, like how to talk about it. Um, and I had to hit, like rock bottom where I was like, eventually that led to like me getting depressed for the first time and like. Mm. 
I guess the biggest example of that would be like really hard time concentrating at school, always having these thoughts in my head, being in a low mood, and then like being so distracted and so unconnected to what's going on that like you're in class in grade 12, someone says this joke, the entire class laughs, and then you're like, oh shit, everyone's laughing right now. Ah, like just react like I need to laugh too. <laughs> but whatever was just happening, like not funny to me. I'm not laughing. I'm pretending now. Mm-hmm. So it got so bad that um, I was just like, this is it. Like I need to do something. And I was so stigmatized. I couldn't even like say the words out loud that like I wrote down like this two page like essay of what's been going on with me for the first, for the last four months. Finally, like, work up the courage, walk into my high school, walk into the counselor's office and be like, I don't know how to say this. You need to read this. Mm. And the counselor, like, reading it and then being like, after reading it, like, wow, Joel, like, this is pretty intense. Um, like, no one, had, no one had any idea. Like, you should basically, like, win an Oscar for, like, an acting award because, like, <laughs> no one had any idea. I was like, Does your, do your parents know? I'm like, no. <laughs> so, like, I didn't even feel comfortable mm. to tell my parents, unfortunately, at that point in time. Which was a, like, you know, a huge aspect of why it got so bad was not yeah. talking about it. And why, like, honestly, like your podcast is so amazing in the last, how, how long, like how many years now? Yeah, like nine years. Yeah. yeah. So this, so like all the, you know, um, tearing down the barriers of mental health and all the other illnesses is like a huge thing. Like mm. suffering in silence is the worst part. And like the first step of getting better is to like admit it to yourself mm-hmm. and then admit it to others. When when you took that um, uh, like two-page essays, you described yeah. it into the counselor's office and gave it to them. Um, what were what were the sort of next steps that like one of my fears in doing that would be like, oh fuck, now they're gonna tell my parents, and now Ooh. my parents are gonna know, and I like I I want help and I know I need help, but but like what comes after this? Like what what was the next thing that sort of happened? Yeah, and I guess in a weird way, like because I knew. I knew like we were gonna have to seek professional help because he's just like he was just you know he's just a school counselor, not not like a psychologist or mm-hmm. a doctor. So I think like he was like, uh, "Can I tell your parents?" And for me, for some weird reason, that seemed easier. Yeah. For like counselor to call my mom, tell my mom what's going on, and yeah. then be able to talk to my mom about it. I don't, I don't even remember. Maybe she came to school to talk with. I don't really remember exactly yeah. how that happened, but like, yeah, that's that was the next yeah. step. And because you get to like circumnavigate the hardest part, which is like, a, which is you bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that's I think for for a lot of people, it's it's that it's that like moment where like the first word comes out of your mouth to bring it up. Exactly is like, and if you can. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So it was like baby steps. It was like, I can't say it yet. Here's a piece of paper. (laughs) That's a really good, I mean, that's an amazing way to handle that. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Uh, The other side of it, too, is you have someone who is like, like in your eyes, is an authority figure. In your parents' eyes, is also like, you know, like maybe not an authority figure, but like a, a, um, you know, professional a prof- someone, a, a professional person, a pro- professional capacity that's coming to the parent that it's like, it's not just some, it's just not some schmuck who like, who's just saying yeah. this thing. It's like, oh fuck, you're like someone yeah. from the, from, from the school's administration is literally calling to inform us that there's something wrong with our son. And so it's like immediately 
they're likely going to take this a little bit more seriously, perhaps if there's the, the off chance that if they heard it from you, maybe, you know, not saying this about your parents, but like maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a culture in, you know, in the household where it's like, oh, like for example, my mom, right? Yeah. When I was growing up, I asked my mom this the other day. I said, because I, I, I just have gone through like an ADHD diagnosis and uh, as an adult. Yeah. And so I asked my mom, I was like, hey, did you ever like, did you ever have teachers like reach out to you to say like, hey, Jer's maybe you might want to look into this. Jer ha- is like, you know, probably has some sort of attention deficit disorder. And my mom was like, oh yeah, like ev- pretty much every single teacher. Wow. And I was like, oh, and you didn't like, what was your take there? And oh, she, you were just a little yeah, rapscallion. She, that literally, she literally <laughs> just said, she literally said that. She went, oh, well, you know, you were just, you were just, you were just hyper. You were just a hyper boy. And it was like, oh, you didn't think to fucking like do something about it. Now, in this case, someone actually from the school reached out to my mother, right? But right. She, but, yeah. but because of her association with this, this like mental health issue, yeah. She just never really took it seriously. And so, you know, there's like, if I had come to her and said that I was feeling a little hyper, my mom probably would have just went, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because that's what you are, right? But in this case with you, it it seems like maybe this was a helpful... It would have been, yeah, it would have... I can't go back in time and see what would have happened, but I think it would have been taken less seriously. And more importantly, I was afraid of how it would be handled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and so um, the next step was to yeah, go see there, – there was no psychiatrist. Oh, sorry, this is what it was. Go see my doctor. But I was 17, and my doctor was uncomfortable prescribing antidepressants to a youth at that point. Sure. So he's like, you need to go see the child psychiatrist. And then that's when I got – yeah, I got put on – Antidepressants, which, like, in that point, like, saved me. I don't, know, I don't know what that means exactly, but like, that's what got me out of that kind of right. situation. Right. So it was effect. Like, you got on meds, yeah. and, and all of a sudden, like, your life was. It was kind of like, okay, my. It took a while, but like, oh, my stomach, my stomach ache's gone. Mm. I can eat now. Probably lost like twenty pounds or more yeah. during that time, <clears throat> um, and a lot of the other. But interestingly enough, at the same time, it was when I was getting ready to leave high school and uh, come to Halifax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had this, um, when we were in, actually I don't know if this conversation will be released yet, but when we were in Vancouver doing the, our live show with Gabor Mate yeah. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about um, attachment and authenticity and, and so the idea that as children we form like an attachment to know, our parents and our friends and we form attachments all through our lives. But as kids, we like form this attachment to our, our parent that is like crucial because, you know, they're going to keep us alive and they're going to feed us and blah, 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 and take care of us and all these like, in all these like basic human function ways. Um, and then there's like authenticity, which is like that, that as you start to express yourself as a kid, you know, you get, you, you might cry about something mm-hmm. and the, reaction from the parent can often is often a, a sort of like a unintentional robbing of authenticity where you go where you tell them that it's okay 
or you tell them like, you're just this or you're just that. Don't do that in public, whatever. Um, and then to, they're just kind of like layering on to a kid unintentionally for the most part, the, the idea that you just like shouldn't be authentic. Yeah. And, and so you just like kind of suppress. Um, and for like, for me, I, that, that kind of like came up in this way where, where Gabor was like, you know, when, when was, um, when was like the first time that you felt like you were like really able to be like authentic with your parents? Uh, and I was like, Oh man, probably when I was 19 mm. and I quit hockey. Right. And I and I was terrified of the idea of quitting hockey because my idea in my head was that if I quit hockey, that like my dad will not respect me in the same way or be disappointed in me or whatever. And the reality was like, that was not the case. Um, anyway, so this is a long way of drawing, like a, drawing a comparison to like when, you know, when you started having this experience yeah. and there's this, there's this conscious or subconscious, maybe a mix of both, um, aversion to like bringing that up to your parents. Mm-hmm. Was the was the reaction or the conversation that you ended up having with your parents? Was it like, oh, I built it up in my head that it would be this, and it was actually, it was actually totally different, or was it, or was it kind of like a little bit of what you expected, or because I, because I feel like our parents a lot of times unintentionally make us feel <laughs> like things are going to be a way that it that it actually won't be. Exactly. So there's like. Maybe how they f- like how they felt they dealt with stuff, and there's like how you interpreted those things, and those can be completely different things. Totally. So, yeah, like I've done a lot of work with all that stuff. I have like I know I have like an avoidant attachment style, um, and it took me a long time to to like un- maybe honestly unlearn a lot of the things that I assumed about because it, the, the dangerous part is. <laughs> you can internalize how your parents might have made you feel and assume everyone else is like that too. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, well, if I don't feel safe telling me, telling, being myself with my parents, I can't be myself with anyone else. No one will ever love me, blah, 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 blah. Ooh. So like, that's... Uh, but in, in terms of that, re- that, that reaction, like it was, it was good. It was as good as it could have been with the tools my parents had at the time, I would say. Ooh. Yeah. So, so, okay. Uh, we've got some, we've got some context for your, like your history as a youth dealing with, with mental health mm-hmm. issues. Um, and I think it's probably safe to say that like anyone who, anyone who's experienced, whether it be depression or anxiety or, you know, any kind of, any kind of mental health disorder, um, it's not like you get treated and then, and then all of a sudden you're like, you're cured and it goes away. Uh, maybe some people manage it and they manage it really well for the rest of their life. And that's awesome. But for some people, it's a struggle for the entirety of their, their existence. Um, how, you know, like as a, as a grown adult, Mm -hmm. um, getting to a point where you, where you create tranquility, which I guess we'll get to, um, you know, was, is this, is, are you one of those people where like this, this journey, this mental health journey that you've been through is something that you've kind of struggled with over, over the span of your, your, you know, adult life with the various ups and downs? Um, or was it, was this like a, a experience that you had in your youth? And this is the thing that sort of 
opened your eyes to these types of experiences and so you wanted to kind of go into that line of work or that line of thinking going forward? Yeah, no, it definitely is not a straight line. And uh, so I would say that, so the one thing that was shitty about the situation that I got out of there when I was 18 is that like, got put on meds, started feeling better, went to SMU, life changed, university was amazing for me, like I really like thrived in that environment. But I didn't go to therapy because Mm -hmm. it's like kind of the meds kind of worked, I was in a different environment. And only in hindsight would be like, well, I didn't deal with the things that were actually like the underlying issues of why that whole thing happened in the first place. Right. And then there wasn't like a plan of like, okay, you're going to be on these meds for a year, then we're going to try to get you off. It was just like, oh, you're on the med, you're on these meds now. And they have side effects, which I'm sure at least 50% of the people you talk to in this podcast, if they're on the meds, are like, oh, like, I come off, I come off, I, I go on, I come off. Like always this battle between like, yes, this makes me not depressed, but I have these side effects and I wish I didn't have to. Um, so definitely like there's been times where I've tried to go off the meds, feel good for a while, something happens, stomach starts hurting. Mm. And that's like the, it's like my, my stomach's like my kryptonite. Like my stomach starts hurting. I'm like, oh, okay. Turn today. <laughs> like I don't know if it's going to hurt tomorrow. Can I, ask you, can I ask you a question yeah. about that specifically? Yeah. Uh, do you ever... Do you ever hold in your farts? Because like that makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> well, so, like, it could, this could be a, this could be. You know, I was on a flight the other day and I held my farts in the whole time. When I got off the flight, I was convinced that Jared, I was sick. Can but- you not? I told you that that was something <laughs> in confidence. Um, I, I have experienced like, I've experienced like what I would describe as like low level bouts of anxiety and depression. Um, and but particularly on the anxiety, the anxiety side is like more, uh, more rhythmic. Like the like the little episodes of depression have been like maybe twice in in like my life. Mm. Whereas like anxiety episodes might be like once every I don't know like six months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where like for a few days I'm just like what the fuck. But then I find myself questioning whether how I feel physically because it's such a physical thing. Yeah. I find myself questioning whether I'm sick, yeah, physically or whether I'm anxious, and I don't right. know. Yeah. And I go, is this this or is it that? Do you hey, when you when your stomach comes up? Are you like I know exactly what this at is. this point? Yes, because it's different. Like, there's a my stomach issue is like a tightness in there, and like this, it's just a different feeling. I I now know like yeah. oh this is this yeah versus oh I think I have the like I'll be like oh this is the flu or like this right. is whereas maybe like bad. at another like at an earlier point in your life it would have been really confusing and that totally. like I've. That's something that only now that I fully realize my most of my life I've been confused. And I think that the thing is is because as a child denied my emotional reality by my parents. It's just like, oh well, can't trust my feelings because they're smarter than I am. So whatever I feel they're saying is the wrong thing to feel or not to feel it. So so then people who are really like good with their emotions and they have an emotional response in their body they'll be like oh like i feel this way because of this and then they can figure out why but me i'm just like constantly like oh my stomach hurts i don't know why and i'm just confused and i start Mm -hmm. getting obsessed about trying to figure out like 
what is that thing in my life right now that I need to fix to make my stomach ache go away? Hmm. Um, and so I don't know this for sure, but at this point, because there's, this, there's still a lot to learn about how these diseases work and like what is actually happening with your neurotransmitters. Like there's like now new research that like actually maybe people with uh, depression don't have low serotonin and antidepressants work because it lowers inflation or something. Uh, yeah, not, yeah. not inflammation. Mm-hmm. It feels um, like it's always changing. Yeah. Like, and like, so it's like eggs. And so for me, I'm like healthy, not healthy. <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks, I don't think like I was born to be this person that just like needs to be on SSRIs. But at this point, I think it's irrelevant because it doesn't really matter at this point. I f- like I went on my uh, I saw my company and I was like, I saw my company. I have I have money now. I can do whatever I want. Like I'm I'm gonna be happy now. I don't need these meds anymore. Two months later, sick, confused. Like again, like depressed, stomach hurts, confused. Because you blew all your money on hookers and blow? <laughs> exactly. Because that would do it. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> um, I'd be depressed too, dude. I get it, man. <laughs> well, well, it's really confusing, right? Because you're like, I just achieved my goal. Yeah. This is exactly what this is. I did this because I thought this would make me happy and yeah. now I'm depressed. But I think what I finally realized is that it doesn't matter no matter what. When I was 18, when my brain was still developing, I was put on antidepressants. I've been on them for now more than half my life. My brain has adjusted to needing this substance to come into it every day. Mm-hmm. And l- unless there's a way to like really slowly like taper off like over two years and there's other ways to like regenerate my neurons, like I think I'm kind of just stuck with these meds. Well, I, I've got a question about that. Like, did, like is the because you did mention like side effects? Yeah. Um, so, so I, I guess I guess the question is like, uh, what if taking antidepressants mm-hmm. or taking some sort of medication that helps with your mental health brings you to a point where you feel not sick or not as sick? What is the thing that would drive you to come off of those meds if they work? And and so so I guess like I guess like. Is it just strictly because of uh, side effects of the medicine, or is it, or is that tied to? Because like I feel like there is this societal view on mental health, health medication. Yeah, that's kind of like I mean, this is what this is why my mom didn't fucking put me on ADHD yeah, meds because yeah. she went, well, you know, I don't want you to. We don't need you to be on Ritalin or something. And yeah. I was like, well, what if, if the fucking Ritalin actually helped? Yeah. Like, is, is there a problem here? I don't understand the, the, you know, I've lived my entire life. The only reason I've lived my entire yeah. life is because of drugs. Like, yeah. drugs have gotten me to this point at 35 because if I didn't have drugs, I'd be dead. Yeah. So, like, I have a very, I have a, a very, um, my viewpoint on, on drugs is very, I'm very pro-medicine if yeah. it works. But I also understand that there's some downsides to medication. So, like, is it, is it that? Is it just the, 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 the side effects, yeah. Because for me, for like for me, it's definitely not the stigma. Because right, like the reason why my company got started is because I wrote a blog of the story I just told you. Basically, yes. it went viral. Yeah, 
and there's so much feedback of other people struggling too. As like instead of complaining, let me do something about this. Mm-hmm. So and I'm you know here on this podcast talking about this. So it's not the stigma at all. For me, it's it's two parts. So it it is. So it's the side effects. So for me, I get constipated. I get Ooh. delayed ejaculation. Right. And um, I, I am a bit more numb to my feelings. Right. Like in the second part of the story where like I said I haven't gone to therapy and I end up going to therapy. Like I realized like at that point, like I hadn't cried in like 12 years. Right. I had to like learn almost to allow myself to feel that and let it out. And then... And then um, also, I got super interested in wondering if psychedelics could help me. Yeah. And th- at the time, it was like, if you're on SSRIs, I mean, they still basically said, uh, if you're on SSRIs, don't do psychedelics. But there's new research showing that it's probably safe. So... Um, you heard it here first, folks. No, uh, don't, <laughs> don't. I'm suck. not endorsing don't this. Don't suck. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> there's that so there's all that struggle and then there's the other part of well I feel really good now like I don't think I like I don't I don't think I need to be on these like I've I've dealt yeah. I've dealt with this stuff like again like after yeah. th- all this therapy and all this kind of stuff it's just like no I'm good I'm gonna try to get off it'd be like me being like try captive ah, man I feel great well, I don't think I need it well, <laughs> just I, stop I mean I feel it. like to what you, you know? to what you were saying Jared like there's like a like I understand it makes sense to me that there is not a super clear view on SSRIs Ooh. because unlike physical illness, yeah. it's like it's pretty black and white. It's pretty it's like if you don't take that trichafta, those proteins, yeah. that protein is gonna not do its job correctly. You're not you're gonna have mucus buildup. Yeah. You're like it's pretty black and white. And then with SSRIs, it's like it, it strikes me as there's, there's this like th- it, there's this there's this kind of battle going on between do I do I take this medication that um, and let's just take the example of somebody where 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 that where it works for them because there's, we, you know we know that there's lots of treatment resistant um, mm-hmm. mental health issues that SSRIs are not that don't work but in the example of somebody that it does work for. And kind of, I guess, using you as an example, Joel, like going, you know, now you feel like your brain has sort of like adapted to this place where coming off of them is nigh on impossible, yeah. extremely challenging at, 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 at the very least, is like torn between this world of do I take this medication that can pretty quickly give me a result, but then there's, there's also this other option of maybe not doing it and like maybe doing like long, deep work to like dig up the shit, process it, file it away, you know, quote unquote correctly. Um, and like maybe you still won't get to a place where you don't need SSRIs. Yeah. But that's a long road at best. Yeah. And that's a tough decision to make when, especially the one that's long and hard, you have, you're, there's no guarantee that you're going to get to the end of that road and not need them anyway, not need the SSRI in the first place. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it strikes me as totally making sense that those two things are at odds with each other all the time and that there's two worlds that sort of like collide with each other on whether these are good, whether we should be prescribing, when should we prescribe them, you know, like how 
far down the rabbit hole does somebody need to be with a mental health issue before we prescribe them? Like there's just, uh, it's a, it's a really a Pandora's box of question marks. Yeah. And it's just, I get it. Like it all just, all just ties into like the, the fact that we, you know, the, the way that our brain works is, is akin to the way that we understand the bottom of the ocean. Totally. We just don't. Like we like we just don't know. I mean, that's what I, like Joel when you were when you were saying when you said that that you were like you've been on SSRIs for more than half your life now. Yeah. And maybe it's just uh, kind of the way that I was interpreting what you said there was kind of like if I had gone down that therapy, if I had just been been opened up to that therapy process then and tried to like dig this shit up then and try to sort it out that way, then like maybe I wouldn't be in this place where I'm really just like my brain is just dependent on these now yeah. like is that is that would that be like accurate to assess it that way i don't know but that's i'm curious about that and i would i would assume that the answer is potentially yes right because like obviously you can't go back and replay yeah. the scenario but but i mean it got me out of what i needed to get out of and i've i've found a, a good balance of meds now um so i'm, I'm quite satisfied actually at the moment i'm mm. yeah with everything that's going on with uh, my mental health and the things I need to do to Ooh. feel good. Well, I'm really, I'm really curious about, you've, you've talked quite a bit about um, or mentioned quite a bit about therapy yeah. and how that's been an important part of, of, of your um, health journey. What was it like when you first realized that uh, therapy was an option. I mean, it's been, you know, you, you mentioned that it's been 20 years since you've been dealing with this, but yeah. you've only been going to therapy for the past seven years. How, how did that uh, therapy come to, to yeah, be part of your life? Good question. So in a stranger way than you might expect, uh, because basically, and this goes back to physical stuff. Um, so I go to SMU, everything's going great. Um, I take finance, become a stock analyst. I'm doing that for five years or six years. But like the last three years of doing that, I have all these chronic pain. I have IBS. I have stomach issues. I have like a little rash sometimes. Um, it's like name a symptom. Like I had it. And I'd keep going to the doc, my family doctor. And like my family doctor would be like, well, we can only talk about like one issue at the time. And I'm like, this has to be systematic, guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I have We're all like, these dude, things I'm going to be coming on. back every day yeah. for the next two months. It is one issue. <laughs> it's all <laughs> yeah. one issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you go see these different people, like a naturopath or this person or this person. And a lot of them, have, uh, in my experience, you go see them and they always think it's the same thing. Like, oh, this is candida overgrowth or this is this or this is that. And so I fired that doctor, hired another doctor. Within three, within three appointments, he's like, Joel, like, we checked your blood. Like, your physical health is amazing. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. I'm like, well, that's not, not very helpful for me right now. <laughs> he's like, well, but we have this person on staff who specifically deals with what you're dealing with. Uh, someone who deals with undiagnosed physical symptoms. Do you want to see them? She's like, she's a specialist. I'm like, yes, absolutely. And he was like, okay, cool. She's a psychologist. And I was like, 
dude, like, no, like, this is, this is not what it is. But okay, like, I'll do anything, right? That's like an email where they're like, do you want to grow your revenue by 90%? You're like, yes. But are you an SEO expert? Is that what I'm buying here? <laughs> so I go to this, and I was back to like the SSRIs. I think I was extremely unaware because I wasn't anxious because I felt like really stable on these meds. So I'm like, I'm not anxious. Uh, but I, I met her for our first consult and it was an hour and a half long. And she kept asking me questions about this and that. And she'd be like, oh, like, well, how do you feel about that? And I'd be like, angry? <laughs> she'd be like, oh, how do you know you're angry? And I'd be like, I don't know, because that's upsetting. <laughs> I'm like basically like... <laughs> How would a character on Friends react to that kind of situation? <laughs> I'm like a robot that has like no access to my own emotions. I'm just like, she's basically like, you're telling me you're angry, but you, you don't look angry. Mm. So I left that appointment. I was like, oh, I think there's something to this. Like, I have no idea what I feel. I thought I did, but I don't. It was all intellectualized, right? Intellectualized. Yeah. So everything had to be like in my frontal lobe with a scheme of like, this happens, therefore uh, that person must feel this way, I must feel this way. And I had no access to my own, I denied listening to my own body for feedback mm-hmm. because I had to do that to survive as a, as a kid because that's what I kind of had to grow up with as a, uh, as a child in my house. Mm-hmm. It's just like, deny your feelings, don't let them out, don't listen to them, they're wrong anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is crazy because like you, you probably, like what you just ex- expressed of like why you felt this thing, like this thing that came out of like your first therapy session, yeah. you're kind of like describing with a whole bunch of stuff that you would have subsequently learned. Yeah, like later. Exactly. On. <laughs> I was still completely, yeah, completely lost there. Um, and so I saw that therapist for several years um, and learned so much about how to. process feelings, understand them. Um, one thing that was really important to me was also just about like mixed emotions where like something can happen to you and you can, and there's such thing as having, being happy about something and being sad about something at the same time. Mm-hmm. It seemed like mm-hmm. such a foreign concept to me. Mm. And those are really difficult to process sometimes. Like mm. you can build a company and you can sell it and you can be proud and happy about that. But it can also be sad and like, it can almost kind of be like a traumatic experience for you sure. too. Yeah. Transition. And it's like, it's really hard to process that because you're like, if anyone knew I was disappointed about this, they would be like, what is wrong with you? You just achieved your goal. I'm like, yeah, yeah I know, but what am I supposed to do with my life now? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I mean, Ky- like we, we just, when, when Zaya went to daycare, yeah. Kyla spends 18 months being on maternity leave. Right. And it's like, Zaya's going to start daycare. That means a whole bunch of things. Yeah. And, a lot of them great, but it's like for Kyla, that's like a huge transition into back into work. She doesn't get for 18 months. Mm-hmm. doesn't get to spend every day with Zay anymore. Like there's so many, I, dude, I, now that you kind of mentioned that, like I, I feel like there's not very many things that are just like singular emotional yeah. Yeah. Like, experiences. I, I am, I'm curious, Joel. So like when you start seeing this psychologist yeah. initially and um, you went to them um, because you were going to the doctor first and saying like I have all these things I I don't really know where they're coming from but they're they're definitely happening and 
they're like, well, you're pretty healthy. Other, I mean, uh, maybe you want to see the psychologist. Did that, did that start to make a difference in your life? Like in, in what ways did that make you sort of, or impact your, your health journey, I suppose? Yeah. It's a good question. Cause I'm trying, I'm almost trying to like think how long that took to like, you obviously kept going to the psychologist. Yeah. So did you feel like it was valuable pretty early on? How did that, how did that look? I like to think that this is a stupid thing to say, but I like to think that I'm like a perfect client for a psychologist because I'm like so invested in it. I'm like, <laughs> I try. I'm like probably trying too hard. I feel you. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like I'm trying too hard. At this. I'm like that with my therapist. <laughs> um, so yeah, I kept going, and I think I was still a little bit too obsessed because, um, like, ironically, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this part. Um, I think the hope there. And the type of therapy I was, I was I was seeking out there was is called like a intensive short term dynamic therapy, which again is it's like um, just literally like talking to your therapist and your therapist looking how your your body's reacting and like talking about what motions are coming up constantly. Mm, this is like cool. a constant thing. But um, because I'm kind of obsessive. And I'm really goal oriented. I my I was like, I want this to solve all my problems. Yeah. And I think uh just like the body keeps a scar with trauma and stuff like that. Like I think there's that's unrealistic. So eventually I've moved and the therapist I see now uh practice act, uh, which is acceptance and commitment therapy. So now I'm more like, you know what? My chronic pain, probably never probably not gonna go probably with me my whole life. How can I just learn how to accept that? Because the more I try to change it, the more it's I'm paying attention to it, and it's mm-hmm. like just like accept it. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you done have you done EMDR? No. Um, it's I think it stands for eye movement uh, desensitization response. Yeah. Um, but but basically the idea of it is that you because i intellectualize my emotions right. too and and that's a big focus in my therapy and i do emdr with my therapist which um will be part of the session where we're not talking and she'll like hold a stick or like something that i can focus on with my eyes and sort of track it back and forth in my vision and i'll have like bodily sort of responses to the idea that i'm thinking about so it might be a moment of 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 trauma in my life that i'm thinking about and it's weird and interesting to, I guess it's it's interesting to think about like how that feeling shows up in my body and where I store that. And my first reaction is always to be like, what, like, why is this? Where does this come from? What's causing this? Right. And she has encouraged me to like stop trying to solve all the problems while I'm thinking about them. Just yeah. like, just feel. And I had a session the other day where I really was just like, I wasn't, I went into the session thinking like, I'm not prepared emotionally to like go to the 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 dark places today. Right. I just kind of want to. I just want to do this session and just get it over with. And so I wasn't trying to intellectualize things because I was kind of just being a bit of a pacifist to, yeah. to it. And I had this like really profound physical response to therapy that day. Man, like I yawn like crazy during my therapy sessions, and and my therapist explained that that is like your. The, the transition between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. Oh, that's um, why you yawn when you take uh, mushrooms. Yeah, right. Exactly. It is the same. Change the same state. thing. Yeah. And, and so when we yawn, I yawn and, when I'm anxious. Yeah. And, or, yeah. 
the crazy thing about this is that I d- like I can't intellectualize it. Like I I can't sort of rationalize what exactly is happening because I don't have the scientific background and don't mm-hmm. know exactly why things are happening. But I can tell you that I I feel it physically right. in like a really profound way. Hmm. And when I finish my sessions, I almost always have to like lay down or rest for a bit because it's it's really exhausting physically. Yeah. Um, but I feel like uh, it sounds like, and I don't I don't want to say like this is what you need to do because <laughs> it's going to work for you or whatever. Um, but it sounds like like in the physical sense, I feel like you would. If you ha- if I could take this this situation or my experience and, and sort of project it to you, I feel like you'd really connect with yeah. the experience. Yeah, maybe something to try. Speaking yeah. of yawning on mushrooms, um, <laughs> I, I would love to kind of pick your brain about psychedelics yeah. and, and your thoughts around them. I mean, I, mean I, I, I take it the fact that you have that, you've mentioned that you had an interest in, in that. It, I, I take it that that's something that you have experience with and that you've kind of like explored. Yeah. Um, what... Um, you know, because like I, I, I too have found that, uh, and I, I think probably most people who've like taken psychedelics with intention have found that there is quite a, quite a like profound um, experience surrounding making sense of what's going on in your life or your past or your current like mental state. Um, so, what has your experience been there? Um, you know, what drove you to try to like unpack that and. And what are, just generally, like, what are your thoughts around around psychedelics and their their role in the, the way that we manage and deal with our own mental well being? Yeah. So, interestingly enough, the way I got interested in it was I read Steve Jobs' book. Like, I don't know how long ago, but it, was, it only came out like an, a year after he died. And if you read his book, the first four chapters are basically about like how. There's two major things that impacted for be- for the better the, the like um, transition of his life, and mm-hmm. it was going to India and learning about um, Zen Buddhism, and then experimenting with LSD. Yeah, and at the time I was quite naive and probably believed in all the propaganda. And I'm just like LSD, like what the hell? That's crazy. This guy's <laughs> fucked up. Burnt <laughs> holes in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> And then I, I kind of had to like look into it or just like be a little bit more interested in it. And then I kind of like stumbled upon like the healing aspects of like ayahuasca and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa, what's, cool? what's going on here? And then the last part of that was, so my, my, my mind was already open. And then one thing I learned while doing therapy when I was still trying to learn about my emotions is that if I took an edible, I could access a lot of these emotions that I didn't have access to before. Ooh, and okay. I could like break down, like crying about this thing. And so it was like a really like, it opened up, it made me just, yeah, honestly just gave me more freedom to have access to my emotions. Mm. And, then, and then I started seeing the research coming out about uh, obviously... Um, psilocybin and even MDMA for uh, uh, PTSD. Mm-hmm. And then I feel just like as the internet works, like you start 
looking into something and there's a rabbit hole and then the algorithm knows and <laughs> yeah. then now, you, now I'm like, okay, it's... Yeah, you're the LSD guy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, again, super naive, uh, no, I, no idea um, how to do it or, or, or anything like that. But eventually, I, I found a shaman and he was like, yeah, like I, I'll do like mushroom ceremony with you. And obviously, I'm terrified. I've never done it before. Ooh. How old were you when you did this? When this? When you did that? Um, and like no recreational use? Uh, no, experience? no. Like it's. I still don't ever do do that. Um, I, I if I ever do it, it's always in a very therapeutic way, very extremely intentional. Um, and so I had a ceremony with him, and it was like. Because people say like, oh, I did mushrooms or whatever and it felt like a thousand years of therapy all in one or something. But I was like in a room with this shaman for like six hours and just like so many things came up and so many things were felt for the first time or understood in a different way. Mm. And I was like, this is really powerful. Um, was he talking to you during it or guiding you or was it was it more so just a solo experience with, their, with the presence yeah. there? So I, I would say that in hindsight now that like he was talking more than I would suggest that being the way to do it. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, but to be fair, he's coming from, he was coming from a different like cultural way. Um, Not like how it would be set up in like a, you know, if you were going to see somebody who was like, you a know, therapist, a, th- a therapist in, who's doing yeah. ther- therapeutic assisted, exactly. you know, psilocybin yeah. treatment now. So, um, so yeah, that opened up to me. I started do, looking the research, but again, it was really difficult for me to to do it because I would go on and off antidepressants. Yeah. Wait, yeah. how was that for that that six hour experience? Like, obviously, you were nervous going into it. What was it like? Oh, was, yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, it brought up stuff about my childhood, and after the session, I like called my parents and like had a discussion with them. Ooh. Wow. And like, there was things that were said that were like never said before. Wow. Yeah. Cool. It, it was did, did was it like, like big, the confidence uh, to like call them afterwards and have that because you had sort of sat with those feelings? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you like understood them in a way that you hadn't before? Yeah. Wow. Totally. Did it was that was that a um experience did that have a lasting effect? Um well, it didn't cure me obviously because I eventually did go back on antidepressants. Mm. I think just to just to, to like add to that point yeah. there. I think that that is a I think that's an unfortunate misconception that a lot of people have because of the the rhetoric surrounding psychedelics that, and that and therapy like, that you're going to like one and done or yeah. like once in a while. Yeah, it's like it's this it's this I mean, you just said it right there, right? People go, "Oh, I, I you know, I took I took psilocybin and it was like a thousand therapy sessions in one." And like, yes, 100% like doing, you know, having a really profound psychedelic experience can be an extraordinarily profound um uh like learning. Yeah. Where you've unpacked things that maybe you you've never had the like ability to look at or see prior to the experience. Um but that's all that it is in that moment. It's just it, it's it's not it's not a it is not a, a it's not a it's like it's like if you took if you have a headache and you took a, an Advil, 
Well, the Advil will take the headache away, but that doesn't mean you're never going to get a fucking headache again in your yeah. life. But right? uh, it's, I mean, it's not a, it's not yeah. like people just I know you're seem making to be a comparison between almost like confused that it's like this, it's like a, oh, it could cure your de- depression. But I mean, it's it, not, I it don't, comes with, it comes with the experience. And then that also comes with a lot of work to that's the thing. unpack and deal with that thing that you've realized. It's like there's integration period, but it's not a, cure like when, that's- it, when it comes to depression but for things like anxiety around death like um the the research and information that they were collecting who is the guy that we spoke to thomas hartle thomas hartle yeah when we spoke to the doctor the week after we released that episode yes right. um the publication was it was something like 75 percent of people who are taking uh psilocybin for to treat um anxiety around death yeah 75% of them only needed to do that experience once and that re like basically made change the way that they thought about the experience. But here's what I, here's where I would push back against that. I I I would I would get I would say that it's it's very it's it's extraordinarily possible that those people that had that experience maybe they live with that experience and 2 3 4 years down the road they're still feeling that way. But maybe something happens five years down the road that brings them back to that place where they were prior to having that first experience. I so totally, I hear my you. My point that. is and like I, it's not I, it. It is going to make great change, but there, dude, there's nothing in this fucking world that's going to change you to to never make you be the same ever again. But the like difference between you brought up Advil and the difference between this and Advil is the fact that it is an experience, which does therefore change the has the ability to change the way and not forever and not as a cure, but does have a way to change the way that you think about things, which is like what therapy is in a sense is a large part of that is rewiring the way that you think about experiences. Right. But my point is that there's people in the world who look at psychedelics as a cure. I think yeah. the way to th- and I don't think and I don't think it is. I think I agree, that's, I, agree that's with you, yeah. I think that does it a disservice. Yeah. I think the thing the way to synthesize this together is to is that the more objective function of a psychedelic experience in relation to something like depression or anxiety or whatever is that it's not it, is that it's more of like it can it can possibly provide a way where somebody who is on medication they might it might provide like two, six, a year's worth of, of time that would be like equal to taking like medic medication. Right. Or, or even, or, like, or you or, could even or, say that or it, it, or an aid to your medication. Right. It, it like provides you, you an opportunity to, to make like a realization that. that maybe an antidepressant never would anyway. Right. It's like, well, that's the thing. Antidep- well, antidepressants allow you to get back to what you were doing. And a psychedelic might make you change what you're doing, right? And those things right. might be the things that you were needed to change. Yeah, exactly. Like um, like an antidepressant brings you to baseline. Yeah, but it it might not necessarily shift your worldview. Exactly. I think right? that what you just said is like is uh, should be like kind of like quoted and put somewhere where <laughs> mm-hmm. lots of people see it because mm-hmm. that line of thinking because it goes back to that root thing. Like, what are you? What is it that you're not digging up when you take a medication that allows you to just feel quote unquote normal to continue to do the things of which some of them might be the things that are reinforcing the way yeah. the reason we are feeling that way in the first place? Does that place? not synthesize that entire idea of like why people want to get off antidepressants? 
like the, this idea that like they are just taking this thing to get to baseline and they're like, man, fuck, I just wish I didn't have to take this. I wish I could just figure out what is at the root of this potentially in the first place yeah. and, and try to fix that. Uh, I, I guess a question that I have for you, Joel, is like, do you think that it is possible to fix that? Like, how do you think about antidepressants? Um, you know, in the idea that like Jared explained in the beginning where like he's on Trikafta, he needs that medication yeah. for the rest of his life. That's just going to be the way that that his life is because of the way that his body works. How do you think about antidepressants? Extremely helpful tool for when people are at rock bottom and need to get out of that hole. Um, and then there's... Um, complications with it of obviously side effects um do people do people need to be on them i don't know is there like long-term health concerns being on them for your whole life we don't really know yet i don't think per se um but there should obviously should be no shame in taking them um and i guess i would just say that for the most part it'd be a lot better if before people get to rock bottom Start going to therapy yeah. or, or whatever or whatever it is that you need to do. And and I think like therapy is a more healthy long-term strategy than antidepressants. The best science right now, if you're struggling, is to do both. Right. Right. Um, and then I'm super excited about the governments that be to allow for more research into psychedelics to be done so that we can understand better, to understand how that can work, Ooh. what the protocols should be. Um, combining that with therapy, yeah. I think is going to be amazing. Yeah. And we'll also, I think, learn a lot more about the brain and the relationship between these diseases and dopamine and serotonin and all that kind of stuff. Sure. In fact, I, th- I believe it was the study of LSD that dis- that was the discovery of serotonin. Ooh, ooh. Do you? That's cool. I've never heard that before, though. That's neat. I would love to I, uh, that. I would like someone to yeah, fact yeah. check that, yeah. please. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Do you feel that perhaps mental health issues are so much more common today yeah. than they were, you know, even five, 10 years ago, certainly before that, that that is a sign that in and of itself is a sign that we will see less. This is, I think this is pretty anti the thought process now that that is a sign that there will be less in the future because by the very nature of us knowing that there is more now, we are addressing this thing so, in, a, in a way where, like what you just said, like yeah. the, what, what we would want to do is to try and is to try and intercept this before we go rock bottom. 
And so by yeah. the very nature that we see these rates exploding of mental, mental, <clears throat> mental health issues, that that is maybe what we are currently doing on like a mass scale. Like we are interfering at a level that's before people are getting to rock bottom. We're definitely trying. We're definitely realizing how broken the system is, which is why I created my company. But there's one thing I, I would say about your statement, and I think it's easier now because the pandemic increased all these numbers. But I would even say before the pandemic, I'm not sure if there are more people with mental health challenges. I just more people That's have right. mental health challenges and realize their mental health cha- mm. challenges and are more willing to speak about it to to yeah. say yes when the survey yeah. asked right. them yes or no. Which yeah. I which like to me suggests that you're getting more and more people who are raising their hand about a mental health issue before yeah. it gets to the point where it is absolutely right. unbearable. Right. And so, you know, is this like the the be- the beginning before you even can look back and know it was the beginning? of like really starting to see like really great change in the way that we address these things. Absolutely. I think like things like Bella's talk, um, even like this podcast, uh, now more like athletes and like the more extreme kind of masculine type uh, environments becoming more easily able to open up about these things. Um, has made it more acceptable, more easy to talk about, which makes it less likely that someone's going to be too stigmatized to talk to see their doctor. Mm. We also have so much more tools now that are less stigmatizing than before. Like um, with the co- with the company and product that I built, like if you want to sign up for it, you don't need to be seen in public. You don't need to ask anyone. You can just go do it, and mm-hmm. it's, no one needs to know about it. Tell us about t- tell us about Tranquility. Yeah, like what is what is the company? What was its goal? Totally. So um, I'll start off by saying, in part of that journey that I was talking about, seeing that psychologist uh, before I saw her, I really struggled with social anxiety, and that was something that was obvious to me. Um, I had like an ad on Facebook about this company that like, oh, like sign up for this thing and we'll use cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which I understood enough to know that like that's the gold standard for helping people with anxiety and depression. And it's like 14-day free trial, da 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 I was like, well, I don't want to like be so nervous going to like networking events and stuff like that anymore. Like I'm just going to see, like why don't I just try this? So I signed up for it. And then it's like, do you want to coach? And I was like, no, I don't want to coach. And I thought to myself for a second, maybe this is the problem. <laughs> I have social anxiety, but I don't want to coach. So then I got a coach and um, I went through this program and it was so helpful for me. Like, went from going to a pl- like a party with friends where like I walk in I'm like start sweating and like one like oh so anyone else notice I'm sweating and like being super self-conscious to a pickup artist well not that but (laughs) (laughs) four or six months later like going to a networking event and be like this is I almost feel normal right now right um and then I wrote that blog and it went viral and I was kind of like what am I gonna do and then I realized well, that's only for social anxiety. Why isn't there something for all anxiety and for depression? And like, why isn't this in Canada? And I looked around and there wasn't anything. I had a few friends who were in the Halifax startup 
community and they're being successful. And I was like, well, like, there seems to be an ecosystem here. I have no idea how to do this, but maybe I can do it. And it's kind of like start saying it out loud to a few people. Next thing I know, I was in this like uh, pitch competition. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm like founder and CEO of a company now. And then I got into an accelerator. And then I met my co-founder, who is a professor of psychology um, at uh, Dalhousie University. And we co-founded the company and we slowly built it up. Uh, and eventually we sold it to Green Shield, which is the fourth largest health benefits company in Canada. We sold it in uh, 2021. But to go back to what it actually is, um, again, so cognitive behavioral therapy is the, a type of therapy that works on the, on the theory or understanding that our thoughts affect our behaviors, our behaviors affect our feelings, and our feelings affect our thoughts and behaviors. Basically, like everything affects each other. And what I always say when I'm describing it is that we can't decide to just feel better, but what we can do is learn to identify our automatic negative thoughts and then help make them into more balanced thoughts that are not Ooh. purely negative. Like, let's find evidence for and against this. Is this true? And then for our behaviors, figure out which of our behaviors are making this worse and then change those. So for anxiety, the behavior is avoiding. So mm. I'm not going to go to that party. I'm not going to... I'm not, I'm not going to get on a plane. I'm not going to go on public transit. I'm not going to do whatever it is that makes you anxious. And then figuring a way to slowly, like, expo- it's exposure therapy, basically. Like, exposure therapy comes from CBT. So, and then for depression, it's, it's called beha- behavior activation. But basically, it's, I don't feel like going to the basketball game. I don't feel like going to visit Brian tonight. I don't feel like going on a walk. And it's like, you need to. Therefore, do it. Yeah. So it's Ooh. like for for depression, basically the way I think about it now, it's um, you want to add activities that do one, one of two things, either give you a sense of enjoyment or give you a sense of accomplishment. So even if it's do the dishes, Ooh. take a shower, like at least even if it sucks, like you do it and then you come out, you're like, oh, I did that. The next morning you wake up, your kitchen's not a mess feel a little bit better about yourself and yeah. just like baby steps and keep adding more and more of those activities in your life, you start to almost like hack your brain by just moving and doing it to feel better. Mm. So basically like our program, you go through these like nine different modules that teach you all these different skills. Um, and if you, like the science shows, our statistics and data shows, the more modules that do you do, the more activities you do, you're gonna feel better, and like our current our current stats show that basically someone who does at least fifty percent of our program will see a five percent, uh, not a five point change in their it's called the GAD seven or PHQ PHQ nine scores, but basically anxiety or depression scores. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like research, whether it's antidepressants, twenty sessions of CBT, placebo, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, and right. so like. Basically, we're able to deliver that at a much less stigmatized way, much uh, more accessible way because 
doesn't matter where you live. If you live in rural or whatever and there's no therapist there, you don't need a therapist. Um, it's affordable. Uh, it's much more affordable. And uh, it's also kind of like tailored and personalized. So the caveat I'm going to give with these like <laughs> self-help type situations, whether it's a program or a book or like Tranquility, an online program, again, it only works if you work. It only works if you do the work. Ooh. And the adherence rate's low for self-help programs. So what we have do is we hire and train coaches as well. And so if you sign up, you get matched with a coach. You get 26 weeks with your coach and you can chat with them once a week for 30 minutes over phone or video. And also unlimited amount of in-app messaging, which they'll get back to you within like two business days. Um, and so they're there to like support you to go through the program. They understand everything that's going on in the program. They're there to listen to you. But they're also training motivational interviewing, which is like basically a way to converse with you to like get your own motivation out of yourself. Uh, and it's your accountability buddy. And I always say like I think of our coaches as an analogy. They're like a gym trainer. Ooh. And like I have a gym trainer. I basically know what I need to do at the gym at this point. But like if Trent's not there at five o'clock today waiting for me, I'm, pro- I'm probably not going to go. <laughs> I'm probably not going to go. Right. I love that you named him Trent. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Trent, how's it going? <laughs> He's an actual guy named Trent. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I see. I feel bad now because I thought you were using Trent as a stereotypical gym trainer. No, actually, yes. Damn. I feel really bad now. <laughs> and Trent's listening. Yeah. And he he's upset now. Yeah. Damn it. Um, so, yeah. So, right now, just like the software is the therapy and the coach is the motivation. You're kind of able, yeah. kind of ability buddy. And like the results are amazing. And cool. The thing I want to definitely like make sure I said during this podcast is that if you live in Nova Scotia, this is now paid for, subsidized by the government of Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia Health. Oh, awesome. So anyone in Nova Scotia who's 16 years or older, who has mild to moderate anxiety or depression, can sign up for this program by going at tranquility.app. No Even the coaching? In, yeah, in, the, the coaching wow. program is, is the program oh, that wow. they, they wow, pay for. That's oh, wow, that's yeah, amazing. We've already had 2,000 people go through our pro, like sign up for our program. That's amazing. Do you need to be diagnosed with moderate? No. To, or it's just... No, so yeah, I will, I'll, I'll provide a disclaimer. Good, that's a good point, Brian. It's only for mild to moderate. So when you go through our onboarding, unfortunately, if you score in a severe range, um, we currently can't accept you into the program, but you will be um, given an opportunity to like call mental health and addictions intake, and then they'll find a more appropriate resource for you. Cool. Because it's just like okay. outside the scope. Of- exactly. It's outside the scope, especially of what our coaches can do. And uh, so that's, that's the unfortunate part of, of that program. Um, now that we're owned by Green Shield, there's like 4 million Canadians who have access to this through their Green Shield benefits. Cool. Um, anyone else can sign up online and, and pay for it. Um, pricing is like a tenth of the cost of seeing a psychologist at a CBT, which is like mm. will literally cost you like two thousand yeah. dollars to see them twelve times. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty. I mean, like in in terms of like the healthcare system and just like how gigantic of a barrier, even the most like mm. basic mental health resources are to the average person. Um, that's a big. That's a big help. The biggest, the biggest kind of, I think, one of the biggest goals for what me and my co-founder built, um, especially for like 
a public system is to decrease those to de- decrease those wait times, right? So we think of this, and most provinces are thinking about this in this way now, is a stepped care approach, which is basically like Brian comes in and doctor kind of like does a little assessment and realizes Brian only has mild anxiety. Would Brian benefit from seeing a therapist in person? Sure. Does he need one yet? Not really. So like what is the least expensive, most accessible thing that we can give Brian today that's going to help him to start feeling better now instead of coming six months later and like being like I was when I was 17? Mm-hmm. Let's give Brian that now. Mm. If tranquility or whatever it is that they, they give it give to him isn't enough, great. He's try step one, he can go to step two now. But it's like if we can, if 70%, which is probably, the, I think that's the number that we see the most, 70% of people who are suffering are in the mild to moderate range. That means we can take 70% of those people off the wait list, get the people who are severe to have a much short, like decrease that wait list by 70%. Mm. So that's only 30% as, as long. So hopefully like the wait list goes from a year to like three months. Yeah. It's like I mean, an effective it re- it program of, of like e- the ER and urgent care. Like we don't even have urgent care here. And yeah, like, well, you know, I don't know if you're you... familiar with virtual hallway. They're literally down our hallway. Right, they're in our literal um, hallway here. And like, and one of the use cases for them would be, you know, you, somebody goes to the doctor and they go to their doctor and they say, "I have blah 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 symptoms," and the they the the doctor thinks, "Oh, you might need to see this specialist." Instead of getting put on the wait list to see a specialist six months, eight months, two years from now, and just adding to the wait list that's continually to make that wait longer and longer. Yeah. The doctor can be, the doctor, the GP, can, it gets connected with the specialist. So instead of this patient explaining to the doctor what they have so that most likely the specialist can say, oh, you never needed to see me in the first place. Mm-hmm. But the GP didn't know that. So the GP talks to the specialist and says, XYZ symptoms and the specialist says, no, I'm not the right person. So now you've just like taken, right. you just, or I am the right person, but in like in the similar way, like you've taken me, you've, 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 you're, you're, you're doing something that's like filtering every, you're filtering as best as possible. The people that are unnecessarily there building up this wait time. Like, so, so with, so with what you're saying um, is like, if if you get, like right now as it is, or maybe not right now as it is, because it's not right now, yeah. the accessibility of something like Tranquility, is like instead of getting everybody flooding to the doctor, yeah, you're putting a step before the doctor to try and filter to try and filter out people who are going to do just fine with something like Tranquility. And there's, yeah, well, there's many things because in Nova Scotia, if you see your doctor, your doctor can also refer... You to us, right? Um, but there's also so many people who still have this stigma. Like I'm so used to this stigma being over that I forget that there's still yeah. so many people who are yeah. still super stigmatized, yeah. and they're like, we hear things like, "Oh, um, I wasn't going to go talk to my doctor, but I saw this ad and I clicked on it and I signed up." Or even, you know what, Joel? I didn't want to do therapy, but because it was a coach, I felt less intimidated, so I signed up for it. Ooh. So there's there's really like interesting things about that, and and just to go back to uh, what you're saying about triaging and, and like having a more holistic approach, that is why Green Shield acquired Tranquility, and that's what we're building now. 
So for us, we're launching this thing called Green Shield Plus. Um, and I think you're talking about like, it's like we, one thing is like also the reverse waiting room. Or like instead of you waiting in a waiting room for your doctor to call your name. I've seen that commercial. Yeah. It's like we're like, we have all our doctors in the waiting room and you show up and we're like. They're waiting to see you. Yeah. But what we're doing is we're integrating everything. So we've got inkblot therapy, which is basically, um, we have over a thousand therapists all over Canada and there's a little assessment. So if you want to see a therapist or counselor, you go through the assessment, uh, uses like an algorithm and matches you with like the most appropriate therapist that we have on our, on our, on our list. Then we have tranquility. Then we have a virtual pharmacy, which is basically, we, you don't need to go to shoppers anymore. They'll just mail you your meds. You're and then we you. have telemedicine. And all these things are going to talk to each other. So just like you were saying, if you, sign, if, if you were me in that first scenario and, you had, and I went to go, go to telemedicine, they had a request for me to do blood tests. They looked at the blood tests, said, you're fine. You know what? I think you got to do therapy. They would connect me with a therapist. My doctor's notes would be with my therapist. Eventually, I might go back and say, this is not fully working yet. Okay, maybe we should try SSRIs. Mail me the SSRIs. Or after I'm done therapy, you know what? Like You're doing quite well, but I think you could learn a few more skills. Maybe you should do Tranquility's program. Man, like the accessibility combined with the integrated approach. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we were just speaking at a... At a at a um, at a conference uh, for uh, 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 cardiac issues in um, in Montreal a couple months ago, and the the level of frustration and lack of care that arises from non integrated yeah. services, yeah. doctors, systems, hospitals, clinics, not talking to each it's other, it's baffling. Like it is, it's 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 comical. Like it is. it is, it is, it is absolutely absurd. So Green um, Shield Plus is an insurance program, then, and then with all these integrated services, and like, can we? Can you? I, like, can I just say, can you, like, before you, you go in, us? I, yeah, I, some, I, like, I, that's I, I, I actually like, want to be. I, I do want to say this because I feel like I, there's a, just a part of me that just wants to be really clear here. This full is transparency. Ad. This is an ad. No, 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 and Jeremy's no, 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 being no, no, paid no. right now. Yeah, yeah. Full <laughs> transparency. I did actually. I was actually hired by Green Shield to do uh, a social media campaign for them. Uh, this this not has hard. nothing to do with that. Yeah. This is just purely coincidental. Yeah. That, this has to do with Joel. Yeah, this is all Joel. <laughs> uh, just just by coincidence, your your company was bought by Green Shield, who also happened to pay me to do a uh, social media this post. feeling a little bit icky uh, to me but, now. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure there's someone out there who saw my post and they're like, oh, that's, oh fuck, what the this fuck? This is now a weird like fucking a- full-on paid... <laughs> Sick boy episode. Uh, I, you know what? It actually probably should be. So yeah. we're gonna bill Green Shield Plus after you know what, this. Actually, we um, should just get we should just get <laughs> like insurance plans or whatever. Yeah, too, yeah. You know? Anyway, I just sure. wanted I just yeah. wanted to put that out there in case anybody was listening and saw like, we'll my do in kind my, my fucking sick Instagram <laughs> post about Green Shield Plus. Um, anyway, continue with your question there, Brian. Well, that was it. I was just wondering if we can get comp. Yeah, can plans. we? Oh. I don't how does know. that work? You're, you're, you know. the, you're the president there now, so how does that work? No, I've been demoted several times. That's funny. That's the funny part that happens after you like sell your company. Like you go from like yeah. CEO to then president, and then went from president to senior director. So I'm not sure what's going to happen to me in the next yeah, few yeah. months. Yeah, you're going to be a sales rep in about uh, in, as uh, the day this comes out. Actually, have you seen Silicon Valley? Have you oh, series? like one of my favorite shows. Or when they like when they when they're like, all right, big head. Like you just got promoted, and then he goes up onto the roof, yeah. and he just hangs it on the roof. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Joel, I gotta say, man, it's uh, this is this has been a really lovely 
um, exploration and conversation about mental health and, and the navigation uh, that, that, you know, your own navigation through the, the world of mental health as it relates to you personally and, and, then, and then how, you know, how you took that and actually transformed it and turned it into something that became a really major part of your life outside of just struggling with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to come in and like allow us to allow us to sit and listen to that experience and those stories because, um, you know, we've, you've said it a couple of times, but like, that's a big part of what we're trying to do here is just to, just to allow people to express those experiences so that we can, again, reduce that stigma that still exists. It's, you know, we live in a, a bit of a, an echo chamber and, yeah. and it's easy to take for granted and forget that there's still a lot of people out there who really just don't, don't have the skill or the awareness surrounding talking about mental health issues. And that's a, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. And you know, you are playing a very vital role in shifting that problem here in Canada. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I, and I think like in terms of that, it's obviously a, a bigger issue in terms of the stigma and stuff uh, with men. Yeah. So glad that the three of you guys are doing it too. Yeah. Well, thanks, dude. This, is, uh, this has been a real treat. And yeah. We're just trying to um, expand our echo chamber yeah. so that there's more that's people well, who true. are in the chamber yeah. so that there's less right. echo yeah. in it. That's it. Huh. Yeah, chew on that for... Yeah. How about that? The next 24 hours. <laughs> Crazy, right? Um, thanks, Joel. This was really great. Thanks, Welcome. Joel. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.